Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. Welcome. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis. My name is Alex Hader-Winnett. I almost forgot I was married there for a second. (laughs) Alex Hader-Winnett, and uh, I am your ministerial intern and campus minister this year. Hi, I'm Emily Burstein, and I'm this week's worship associate. I've been a member of the church for about five years now, and this is my first day as worship associate at full service. Hey, Alex and Emily, can we yeah. just ask the AV to crank up that pulpit mic so we all can hear all the good things you have to say? How's that? Oh, much better. Oh, yes. I would like to welcome each and every one of you. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that all people are inherently worthy and dignified. And you are welcome here, no matter how you identify or who you love or the color of your skin, no matter the money in your pocket or where you spent the night last night, no matter your understanding of God, the universe, or life's big questions, you are welcome in this community. This morning, Claire Bradley and Leanne Friedman, who helped me with my reflections as members of the congregation who also have Jewish backgrounds, will light the chalice. We light our chalice, symbol of our faith for truth, sought through a questioning heart and an attentive mind and for love, pursued through obstacles inside and outside our own human heart, and for forgiveness and all it entails, the place where truth and love merge and meet. Thank you. So now is our time for all ages. For those of you who are young at heart and young in spirit, uh, this is our time we share together. So I have a question, show of hands. Anyone been to the farmer's market recently? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe to the food co-op or or a grocery store, uh, and you've noticed all the great yummy food in the produce department that looks so sweet and tantalizing. Or maybe you've seen the farms really coming up and there's dust and everything going on because they're going through and they're picking all the fruits and vegetables. And we're in a very special time. It's known as the harvest time. All those seeds that we planted in the late winter and spring have grown and have been tended and are now ready to be picked. And they're so yummy to eat and to use and to sell and to buy. And, uh, and this is a very special time here in Davis and in the Sacramento Valley and in California. And in fact, all over the world, we're celebrating harvest times. 
Uh, in China, we have the Moon Festival, and we're starting to see uh, so many wonderful uh, grains that are coming, and we're starting to see our pumpkins and our gourds, and uh, oh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. So one of the cultures that they're celebrating Harvest Festival right now is, is in the Jewish culture. They have a celebration called Sukkot, which is a, a celebration of, of the harvest and everything that is good about, uh, and generous about God and, and uh, nature. And so what they do is they build a, 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 a special place called a sukkah, which is kind of like a tent. It's uh, purposefully made to be temporary with walls that are easy to put up and to put down and uh, a roof and a ceiling made from plants. Uh, that way you can spend lots of time outside in nature, looking up at the sky, looking around at nature, and feeling uh, wonder and awe and appreciation for this special time. So Jewish families build a sukkah, and they sit together in community, and they eat, and they pray, and they tell stories, and they play games. And this is how folks celebrate Sukkot, which is happening right right now. So we, have, as a community, have also built a sukkah. It's outside. Uh, it's very nice. It's very large, so many of us can sit together after service, and you're very welcome to do so, to grab something sweet, uh, to join together in community, to celebrate uh, this wonderful time of the year. Um, and also, if you're in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, you will be having your Sunday sir, uh, class in the sukkah to celebrate this wonderful time. So, in this time of generosity and harvest, uh, I hope you all have a very, very happy Sukkot. So, those of you young in spirit, now it is time to head to your Sunday school class, and we will sing them out robustly uh, with our song of blessing. Trying to run interference is a dangerous job. <laughs> Today, we're going to take a brief look at Judaism. Worldwide, the Jewish population makes up just 0.22%. And in the United States, followers of Judaism stand at 2% of the population. It is, along with Christianity and Islam, one of the Abrahamic faiths because they all speak of being descendants of Abraham. Those traditions are certainly distinct, we know, but as descendants of Abraham, they share many of the same stories, stories of prophets, parts of their scripture, and the same God. The High Holy Days have just ended for our Jewish friends. These days of awe, as they are called, begins with Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It's a joyous celebration marked by eating sweet things like apples dipped in honey and special cakes and bread, a little bit of which we get to taste after the service. The customary belief is that on Rosh Hashanah, the Book of Life is opened and one has the opportunity to make amends or to atone for the sins committed that past year, for times when we were less than our best selves. 
Ten days later, Yom Kippur arrives, the Day of Atonement. It is the holiest day of the Jewish year. It is a day of fasting and praying for forgiveness for those times we were less than our best selves. It is then that the Book of Life is sealed for the year. The final prayer service ends with a ceremonial blast of the shofar, a type of trumpet made from a ram's horn. There is so much to explore about the Jewish tradition, so let's go back to the beginning. The literal translation is that 5,800 years ago, Adam and Eve were created. That is the start of the Hebrew calendar, according to second century Jewish scholars. 3,800 years ago, Abraham was born, and he starts the family tree with sons Isaac and Ishmael, and eventually famine forces those people known as Israelites into Egypt. 3,300 years ago, Moses sees the burning bush and begins his relationship with God, and later will receive the Ten Commandments and lead the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt in what is known as the Exodus. Through the Sinai Desert, we hear these stories in the Torah, and that is the celebration of Passover. Passover often occurs right with the celebration of Easter. It's a week-long holiday that commemorates this exodus from Egypt. It's celebrated in homes with a ritual meal called a Seder. The story of the Exodus is illustrated throughout this meal in food and song. This is the time when our grocery stores are filled with matzah, or unleavened bread. It is marked, it, that marks that the people fleeing Egypt didn't have time for the bread to rise. 2,200 years ago, Jewish Maccabees revolt against restrictions on the practice of Judaism and the desecration of their temple. Hanukkah commemorates that. Hanukkah is the eight-day Jewish holiday celebrating the miracle of that one-day supply of consecrated oil in the holy lamps lasted for eight days when the Maccabees were finally victorious over the Seleucid Empire. 2,100 years ago, Herod the Great became the Jewish ruler of the land of Israel within the Roman Empire. We know about Herod. We hear his story every year because he issued a decree that there should be a census and everyone should return to their hometown to be counted. And a man named Joseph and his betrothed Mary gave birth to a pretty significant baby in the town of Bethlehem. Herod began to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed only to have that temple destroyed again by the Romans 1,950 years ago. The destruction of that second temple left only the western wall of that complex, also known today as the Wailing Wall. We see pictures often of, of Jewish people deep in prayer at the Wailing Wall. 
with the destruction of that second temple, the Jewish people essentially became refugees and migrated. Those who went to Western and Eastern Europe became known as Ashkenazi. Those who went to Spain, Portugal, and North Africa came to be known as Sephardi. And those who remained in the Middle East came to be known as Mizrahi. 330 years ago, the first Jewish settlers came to America, mostly from the Sephardi tradition from Spain. But 170 years ago, following the trends of German and Russian migration, most Jewish people in America came from the Ashkenazi tradition. We know that tradition, and many of us know words in Yiddish, and that is the language of the Ashkenazi with German roots. There were other groups that settled in other places. Over time, different traditions emerged. We know well from our own Unitarian Universalist history within the Christian Reformation that branches of denominations occur. The same happened within Judaism, and today it's estimated there are about 200 different Jewish movements. The main traditions we hear about here in the United States are Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform. Orthodox Judaism generally is the practice of normative Judaism. Rather than belonging to a a particular movement as they see, they are the roots. Conservative Judaism is not a political statement. It speaks to conserving the Jewish tradition It's a step away from the Orthodox movement while keeping those traditions and rituals alive. And Reform Judaism is a step from there, focusing less on ritual and more on living into modern and progressive values. There are many ways to be Jewish in this world. Today, many people identify as culturally Jewish, and find wisdom in Buddhism, humanism, and even Unitarian Universalism. We are lucky to have Emily Burstein as today's worship associate, who's going to explore a little more about Jewish identity with us now, and I'll come back and talk a little bit about the spiritual wisdom of Judaism. I jumped at the chance to be a worship associate for this service as it allowed me to reflect on the nature of my Jewishness and how that complements my UU identity. To start, I talked to members of our congregation who identify both as UU and Jewish. I'm thankful to Gail Sosnick, Leanne Friedman, Dan Brownstein, and Claire Bradley for their insights and to Millie Brownstein for insight about their blended family. Growing up, religion had almost no part in my family. Yet, as an adult, I strongly identify as a secular Jew. How can I feel so Jewish, having had no religious education and parents who were vocally anti-religious? Talking to my Jewish UU friends gave me insight on this quandary. A common thread among us was that we were all brought up as secular Jews. Gail said, I'm an atheist and I can't stand that God talk. (laughs) Dan said that his parents didn't see religion as relevant. Yet, all of us identify certain values that define our Jewishness. 
It seems that while these values are not, were not explicitly identified by our families as Jewish, we intuitively understood their origin. Some of these values are a commitment to social justice. Leanne's father was active in the labor movement and a Marxist. Deep value of education and scholarship. Gail's parents intended her to be the first in her family to go to college. She was one of two females in a class of 40 who entered Pratt Institute to study architecture. Love of culture. Dan said he got a great education growing up in New York City as much from the art and music he was exposed to as from his formal education. The importance of our Jewish immigrant heritage and our ancestors' hardships. Claire's father, who escaped from Austria in 1938, founded an institute of logotherapy, which is a form of psychotherapy developed by a fellow Holocaust survivor that asserts that people's search for meaning is their motivating force. All of us identify as UU and Jewish and feel thankful that all parts of ourselves are affirmed in the UU church. Leanne remembered years ago when Reverend Jay Atkinson from this congregation blew the shofar that is sounded on Rosh Hashanah. Hearing that sound, Leanne felt, that's me, I can be here and be Jewish. All of me belongs here. The UU Church also allowed some of us to blend religious backgrounds. Dan was secular Jewish and Millie Methodist. My research continued with attending high holiday services. The few times in the past when I attended services, I had felt pretty uncomfortable with the notion of God. I didn't really connect to the rituals, and I felt somewhat like an outsider. I was pleased to find that my UU attendance has shifted my experience when I went to synagogue. I now found it natural when listening to the service to substitute my own personal definition of the word God. I noticed how inclusive the service was. Lots of singing, like here. Much member participation, with members leading some prayers or doing part of the Torah reading. And I saw comforting rituals, like remembering loved ones and those in need of healing by saying their names out loud at specific times in the service. The president of the board spoke on the theme of the synagogue being a welcoming place, and she used words very similar to those in our UU welcoming. I also realized that many of the basic principles of Reformed Judaism align with my UU principles, love, forgiveness, introspection, and respect for one another. I learned that Reformed Judaism is adaptable and the emphasis on questioning and scholarship encourages new interpretations of Jewish text and practices. Rabbi Wolf's sermon for Rosh Hashanah was called Living into Brokenness with Joy. And he gave guidance on how to make sense of the brokenness of today's world and how to help repair it. 
The sermon was deeply meaningful and relevant to me. I came away feeling we have a great partner in the Jewish community for progressive interfaith work. My exploration of this service, for this service, has made me feel both a little more UU and a little more Jewish. And to be thankful for the richness of having two traditions to draw upon for challenge, inspiration, and comfort. And finally, as Morgan mentioned, we have special treats for the Jewish New Year in the social hall. We have honey and apple cake for the sweetness of the New Year. And then the challah bread, which is only round at this time of the year um, to, talk, to kind of signify the roundness of the year. And also challah bread, traditionally, you tear it um, and don't cut it. And then you tear a piece, and then you tear that piece in half and give it to a friend. Thank you. Jewish wisdom is found in many places. What we know as the Old Testament, the Jewish people separate into three collections. Torah, uh, which is laws, prophets, and writings. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These are the laws of God, again, revealed to Moses over 3,000 years ago. In Jewish synagogues, the Torah is written on a scroll and kept in the ark to be read as part of a holy ritual in worship. The prophets and the writings speak of God's way in the world. Yet wisdom comes from more than these holy texts. In the second century, the Talmud was written comprising of the oral law and commentaries on it. Rabbis are teachers and have over the centuries challenged and inspired many, writing even more for all of us to think about. Contemporary Jewish theologians are read by people of all faiths and have wisdom for all of us. Today, I want to explore just one piece of that wisdom. One of the most famous Jewish theologians of the 20th century was Abraham Joshua Heschel. He was born in Poland and lived and worked as an American rabbi. He was also an activist. He was, can be seen on the front lines of the march in Selma with Martin Luther King Jr. and others. And he spoke to the Catholic Church at the Vatican II, warning of the Christian temptation to speak of the Jewish tradition with contempt. And he challenged Catholics and other Christians not to refer to the Jewish people as less holy or less worthy of having their own beliefs, not people who needed to be converted, but people of a long tradition. He's also the author of the words that we will hear the choir sing as our offertory. He wrote a lot, and his first major work was called The Sabbath. Heschel says time is holy, and he is a prolific writer, and I'm going to read a few excerpts, and I'm going to go extra slowly so that you can soak it in. He writes... 
Judaism is a religion of time, aiming at the sanctification of time. Judaism teaches us to be attached to holiness in time, to be attached to sacred events, to learn how to consecrate sanctuaries that emerge from the magnificent stream of a year. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals, and our Holy of Holies is a shrine that neither the Romans nor the Germans were able to burn, a shrine that even apostasy cannot easily obliterate. religion of time. The Sabbath is our great cathedral. The practice of the Sabbath is to rest on the seventh day of the week, not rest to catch up on sleep, but to acknowledge the holiness of time. It is the same day of rest that God took in the creation story in Genesis. We hear from chapter 2, In the language of that tradition, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because then in it he had rested from all his work, which all he had created and made." Heschel points out that God sanctified a day. God did not bless a physical place, not a holy mountain or a special shrine. Instead, God sanctified a day of rest. The Sabbath reappears in the Bible. In Exodus, God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and even sends extra manna from heaven on the day before so they don't have to do any work on the Sabbath. The practice of the Sabbath, or Shabbat as it's called, begins at sunset on Friday and ends when three stars are visible on Saturday evening. It's about 25 hours. Shabbat is ushered in by lighting candles and reciting a blessing. This practice provides a dedicated space for spiritual reflection and focus on family. Services are offered at the synagogue on Friday night and Saturday morning. People are invited to worship and to pray together or as individuals. Many synagogues have a special lunch after the Saturday service, morning service, and offer classes in the afternoon for further exploration and reflection. Heschel explains this practice of making time holy. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week we live under the tyranny of things, and space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, to turn from the world of creation to the creation of the world. 
sacred time to turn from the tyranny of things to the mystery of creation. What would it be like to take such time? A full day to turn away from the tyranny of things and space, as Heschel says, 25 hours without the news, without email or a to-do list. Instead, sacred time each week to reflect on our lives, to contemplate our place in the larger world, to spend time with the people we love. No one is rushing to get to the next activity. Meals can take as long as they like. You can sit down and finish Monopoly. Or dive into a book. Or finish the newspaper. You can make time outside of the busyness of the work week to be. To be with yourself and to be present with others. What would it be like to actually make time for such a practice? A whole day of intention. Heschel explains there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. We certainly live in a world where the acquisition of the things of space have dominated our lives. To be sure, there are many practices of the Sabbath among those who observe it. But consistently we see it is an answer to the human need for contemplation, for reflection, for human connection, and of mindful rest. Maybe we can try to take this spiritual practice with us. Maybe we don't have 25 hours, but maybe we could start small. We can make time to simply be, to be present with ourselves, to be present with each other, and all of the mystery of creation. That is wise indeed. Friends, this is the time where we share a moment of intention, a moment of meditation and prayer. Spirit of love, life, and justice, you who go by many names but are commonly called God, we request your presence. O common source and mutual conclusion, you within and beyond all time and space, we feel 
your close presence now. Dear God, we give gratitude for the shift of the sun and the changing light, for the harvest and all things sweet and good. May we plant as well as we reap. May we forgive as well as we are forgiven. May we liberate as well as be liberated. God bless those who struggle for justice. May their victories be many and their failures few. May they rest in your peace and be satisfied. Bless those who struggle with health. May they find comfort in you. May they find support and care. God, we give thanks for the young and the old, our elders and our children, those who came before us and those who will come behind us. We give thanks for this day, yet another opportunity to join together in community, in worship and prayer. May the work we do today and every day be worthy, be blessed and sustaining. And now we lift up our own prayers. For these prayers and those that remain in the silent sanctuaries of our hearts, those that weave us together in a tapestry of love we call community, we give thanks and pray in your many holy and sacred names. Amen. Would you please join hands for our benediction? Hearing these words from Rabbi Greg Wolf at the Congregation Bet Havarim here in Davis. May we take every chance we have to turn ourselves around and turn towards each other. So that we can see each challenge as an opportunity and to turn what appear to be all the broken pieces into a glorious mosaic of life and light. May we transform our real tears into rivers of hope and healing for us and for all the world. And may this congregation say amen. Amen.